Okay, are we ready to begin? Rabbi Shulman, Rabbi Shapkin. Okay, great. I just want to quickly thank both Rabbi Shulman and Rabbi Shafkin for their time. This is our second in our uh, installment of our Rosh Shiva interview series. Rabbi Shafkin, please. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi Bacon and Rabbi Shulman. I wanted to set the stage for our conversation today um, based on something I heard directly from Rabbi Shulman well over 10 years ago. Probably 13 years ago, I sat in the base medrash. I was never had the zchus to be in Rabbi Shulman's shir, but I sat in the base medrash during a Musser schmooze, and Rabbi Shulman was giving the Musser Seder. And he asked what I thought was an absolutely brilliant and radical question. And he asked as follows. He said, how do you understand the fact that you are all in yeshiva, and there are many yeshivas in the United States and the world and in, and in Israel, and Eretz Yisrael, how do you understand the fact that in your yeshiva, there is a television in the lobby? Rabbi Shulman wanted to understand why is there a television in the lobby of your yeshiva? There's no other yeshiva in the country that had that. And Rabbi Shulman posed it as a question. Now, I don't want to go into Rabbi Shulman's answer. Perhaps we can touch upon it. But I want to explain why I thought the question was so brilliant. It was because it situated Yeshiva University within a larger universe of institutions and Bate Midrashim known as the Olam HaYeshivas. And he forced Talmidim to think about how is our yeshiva different, unique, and how do we conceptualize the opportunities and challenges that we have that may not exist in other yeshivas. There is a Tosos and Brachas and Daf Membeis, though Tosos uses this Lashon in other places as well, where Tosos uses the language Makshim HaOlam, the Olam has a Kasha, the world has a Kasha. And it's a striking Tosos that many people have noticed because what do you mean the world has a Kasha? If you go outside, my mailman does not have this Kasha. My, um, my wife didn't have this Kasha. What does it mean, Makshim HaOlam? And there are many ideas suggested, but I think there's something very beautiful here that's at the center of our conversation. And that is in Kohelas and in Avos de Rebbe Nassim, we talk about the world literally like an Adam, like a human being, like a person. We're familiar that Adam Dome la Olam Gadol, the Olam Dome la Adam Katan. A person is its own universe, and the universe is like a person. And we could conceptualize the Olam Hayeshivas as if it was a human being, as if it was a person, as if it was an individual with relationships, with experiences, with friendships, with perhaps enemies and things that, that were difficult to it in its own lifetime. And this, in a way, this idea that the Olam HaYeshivas is an Olam to itself is how I want to ground our conversation today. So it is with that in mind that the Olam, Makshim HaOlam, is literally its own universe, is like its own individual person, its own characteristics, with its own personality, that I want to explore the personality of Rabbi Shulman's experiences 
in the Olam HaYeshivas to perhaps come back to that original question of what are the unique challenges and experiences of our particular Olam that our Talmidim live in, the Olam of the Beis Medrash of Yeshiva University. So with that in mind, thank you again, Rabbi Shulman, for joining. And I want to begin with the following question. Before we talk about your particular universe and your relationship with the Olam HaYeshivas, can you describe the home and the personality, primarily your father, and what were the experiences and the world that he came from with which he kind of raised and the values he raised your relationship with Torah with? Okay, wow. Uh, okay, thank you, Shevskin. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you remembered that. Uh, that Shmuel's, I, re, I remember that one. What is Yeshiva University? Um, you mentioned about the Olam Yeshivas being, being, being a world. I was reminded of something the Chafetz Chaim once said. He said that we, we're familiar with a map, and on a map you have countries and, and cities, and usually the, the city is represented by a, by a dot. But the size of the dot, different cities have a different size dot. You know, Paris is a very large one. And then some little village in the middle of nowhere has, uh, is probably not even on the map. So he said the Rebunishlam also has a map. But on the Rebunishlam's map, the dots have different sizes than on, than on our maps. Paris is maybe a tiny little dot, but, but Brisk is a great big, uh, great big circle and so on. So it's a, it's a world, but it's, but it's a different world and different way of looking at the world. So you asked about the home that I, that I, grew, that I grew up in. My, my father uh, was born in America, and he grew up in Borough Park, but it was Borough Park... It was a different borough park than the borough park that uh, we're familiar with today. And he went to, he's a YU product. He went to, MT, to BTA, which was the Brooklyn equivalent of, of MTA. And he, he went to YU for, high, for, for, uh, for college. He was, a Talmud of, he was a Talmud of several of the illustrious Rosh Yeshiva. And he was a Talmud of the Rav. He's very close with the Rav. And uh, he was went into the Rabbanus. He was a uh, he was uh, one of the the, the uh, he, he he was the epitome of of a of a of a, of a, of a, of a the model really the model of what a Yerov uh, should be. Made a tremendous Hashem wherever he went. He was all over the world. He was a Rav in, in Yonkers and Los Angeles and Manhattan and Australia and, and London. Very uh, and he had a very illustrious career. And wherever he went, he was Makad Hashem Shemayim because he represented Torah. And at the same time, but he represented it with, with dignity and with humanity. And he was also, people could relate to him at all different kinds of, of levels. He was captain of the fencing team in YU. And um, I once read, somebody had written an article about, uh, about Great Neck. And they, well, my father was, Robin, was assistant Robin, associate Robin in Great Neck at the very beginning of his career. And this fellow wrote about Rabbi Shulman. He came to Great Neck and he wanted to relate to the youth. So he gave fencing classes. And that way he had an in with the, with the, uh, with the teenagers. He's very involved with NCSY. Richard Joel was one of his protégés. And, um, so, and I always thought of my father as being a kind of knight of, of Torah. You know, a knight that goes out and, uh, on, on the crusade. And... Um, he, he, he gave us a sense growing up, he gave us a sense that Rabbonus and Avodos HaKadosh in general is something noble. And there could be no greater, no greater and more satisfying career than a career of Avodos HaKadosh. My mother also came from, comes from a very, they should both be well, my mother comes from a very rabbinic family. Her father was a Rav in, in Europe. And then when the war broke out, he went to South Africa 
His father was also a, a rub in Europe and had gone to South Africa already in 1933. South Africa had a big literature community. They, were, they came from Lita. The great-grandfather was a brother-in-law of Chaim Meiser, who was the famous Darshan. And uh, they started the first yeshiva in, in South Africa, yeshiva college. College there means a high school. But they started, they started with an elementary school and then a high school. And there was nothing in South Africa. And there were a lot of literature even. But there was very little Shmir Shabbos, very little, there was no Chinuch at all. And my grandfather started the first, the first yeshiva in, in South Africa and as part of the family uh, lore. So it, it was a family in which the idea of, of going out and, and spreading Torah was uh, part, of, part of our identity. And it was something we took for granted. I'm going to ask this question briefly. We don't have to dwell on it, but I'm sure a lot of tell me them are wondering this. Did your father ever teach you how to fence? Yes. Uh, yes, he did. But not, I, not on any kind of advanced level. He just taught us the, the, you know, the basic moves. Okay, that, like Diana. That's no, we know not... how to say on guard and, and, and you know, lunge, but uh, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I couldn't actually fence with somebody. Even then, and certainly not now. So, so more, more germane to our conversation. You know, I, I came to YU really at the tail end of my yeshiva career. I, I, I learned, I went to DRS for high school, then I went to Shalavim, then I went straight to Ner Yisroel, where I learned for four years. And it was only after Ner Yisroel, in the summer times I would learn in Char Yashav, then I finally came to Yeshiva University for Smicha. And I was wondering if you could explain and describe a little bit just the basic timeline of what was your yeshiva history? Where did you learn and what were the major institutions that played a role in your development? Okay, well, we're, obviously we're skipping kindergarten. And, but the high school I went to, uh, to Denver, we lived in LA at the time, went to Denver, the yeshiva there is a cousin of mine and Denver is a Lakewood yeshiva, it's a Lakewood satellite. So I was there for, for three years. That's where I got my first exposure really to, to high-level high level learning. You know, it was a Lakewood Yeshiva. It, was a, it wasn't in town. It was out of town. It was a little bit different, a little bit more laid back than an in-town Yeshiva tends to be. But nonetheless, we had the, it was, you know, we were there the whole year. It was a dormitory. We went, we went home only a couple of times a year. There was night Seder, morning Seder. And um, so I was exposed there to the, the Rebbeim were Talminim of Avar and Kotler. Had a little bit of exposure even to Avar and Kotler's Chidush uh, My ninth grade Rebbe used to besides being very formative, he was an excellent Rebbe, Rabbi Goodman, all of a shalom. But he also, the, even after ninth grade, throughout the, 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 the next two years, every Shabbos afternoon, he had a little chabur of myself and, and another, another fellow, Rabbi Menachem Deutsch, who came later to Rosh Kailu in Atlanta. There was another buffer. And he had a chabur, just the three of us. And he would tell us something extra, some extra, you know, enrichment program, something, something beyond what we were doing in, in Shir. I remember he told us, uh, he told us once a shtickle tariff from about most of what he told us, I don't remember, but I remember that he told us a, a piece of tariff from a bar cutler and we were learning Kiddushin and it was on the city of Leiva Vegail Vegail Chatzoyim. And Varni has a stunning, stunning piece of, of tariff where he mamish takes the sugi and he turns, he shows you, it takes a Ramam that seems to be totally cryptic and against the Gemara and he shows you how the Ramam learned the Gemara. It's a fascinating piece of tariff. They say the Chibinarov, I once read this in the biography of the Chibinarov. That he was reading that Torah and he went, he went out of his, he was so in the spell. And he, and, and he said, if he's like this all over, then he's like the, the like the, like the Kadmonim, like the Nebuchadnezzar. Um, so I'll just mention years later, when I started saying Shir and Wayu, many years later, um, when I started saying Shir and Wayu, 
And we, the first the first year, I said, Shirin Mayu, we're learning Kiddushin. And we, and we, we came to the city of Levi, and I taught my Talmudim back to Kultara from Avaran. And I had a, and I had an addition of my own that I added that I added to it, and it was a very good feeling. I felt like I had come full uh, full circle with that. So, anyways, I was in Denver for three years. After three years, um, my father was very good friends with Ravar and Lichtenstein. They were, I think, they were roommates, but they were certainly close friends in 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 YU. And he wanted very much I should I should learn by Ravar and Lichtenstein at least for a year. So, after eleventh grade, I went to Israel, and I was in Gush for for a year. Gush then was not like today in a fancy building. It was in a little serif. It was like in a, a, a shed. But um, so with that, I was there. I was there for a year by Ravarin. At the same time, I have a lot of relatives in the uh, in the yeshiva world. I, and I would spend my Shabbosim by the Rashiva of Kamenitz or by other Tamri Chachamim. So I was still had a foot in both worlds. After that year in Gush, so I went to the Mir in Eretz Yisrael. And I learned by Rav Nachum for a year, Nachum Peretz Sovitz one of the great, uh, the great Russian yeshiva of his generation. And then I was two more years in the mirror in what they call kibbutz, meaning after Shir. Then I went to Lakewood. I came to Lakewood when I was 19. And I was there for six years. Took over summers, I'm out in the middle. I learned by Michael Feinstein in Bnei Brak, the brisk girl of son-in-law. But I was six years in Lakewood. Then I went to the Kol Elyon in YU for a year. Um, the Rosh Kolodin was Ravarin Khan, who was a cousin of mine. And then I got married. Rabbi Lam was the Shatkin, actually. So it was, it was Bashet that I went to the Kolodin, because that's how it happened. That's how the Shidduch came about. And after I got married, so I was two years learning in Kolodin in, in Brooklyn, a year in Yosef, and a year I was in a, in a like a Sholom Eshif in the Yeshiva in Brooklyn. And then I came to YU. In YU, I was a lot of years, I was a Beichen. And then the last... I don't know how many years, 15, 16 years that I'm saying uh, Shir now. So if we were to focus on those central institutions, thinking about the yeshiva, the time that you spent in Gush, the time that you spent in Lakewood, Mir, and Yeshiva University. When you reflect on that, what do you think is the primary contribution that each yeshiva made to your development? Okay. Well, first of all, I had a very unusual trajectory, not just because I went from Gush to the Mir, which wasn't the normal Derech HaMelech, but also in the sense that I, the normal Derech, which I recommend, is that you spend a lot of years, you know, four or five years in Shir, being Makabal from a Rebbe, and then you graduate to Kibbutz and you learn to be more independent in learning and so on, and that's, that's normally how it goes, and that's how it's supposed to go. And I sort of had, had it backwards. I was, you know... I, I, the last year that I heard Shir was Rav Nochem. That year that I heard Shir from Rav Nochem, I was uh, 17. And so I was just by Rav Aaron, post high school, I was just by Rav Aaron Lichtenstein for a year and by Rav Nochem for a year. And then I was in kibbutz. But, but what, what, saved, what, what saved me from just becoming some kind of Gidul Pera, some kind of wild uh, wildlife, is that, first of all, I was, wasn't by myself. I was in the Mir. The Mir was a tremendous kibbutz of Tamir Chachamim. Two rows behind me, there was a very choshev, a young man, an Avrech of Shmuel Yaakov Bornstein. It was a charvusa of Chaim Shmulevitz, later became one of the premier Rosh Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, there was a very choshev, a bacher that I used to talk to and learning sometimes. His name was Osher Ariely. Maybe you heard of him. So it wasn't like just being a, you know, there was a lot of deep and it was very formative. And then I had 
besides that, I had a cousin in there too. So Rav David Affen, I, I still have. A, I mean, he's I, he was um, he's, he's about a dozen years, ten or ten or twelve years older than me. He was learning in Kailu, a big Tanakhachim, a big Lamdan, very Lamdan of force. Later on, he was a, a Rebbe in, in Itri and Chadera and in at Guzrash Kailu for for a while. And now he sits and learns in Yerushalayim. So I was there, I was a Ben Bais. I would go a couple of times a week and we would talk for hours and hours and learning. We would pour over a Bircha Shmuel. So I didn't go to, I wasn't in Shir, but that was a very, very formative thing. And then finally, when, when I came to Lakewood, when I was 19, I learned Bechavusa with Rav David Shustal, who's today one of the four Rosh Yeshiva. He wasn't Rosh Yeshiva then, Rosh Shneir was still alive, but he was in the wings. And he's a very, he's a very big lambda. He really has the whole Messiah of the Yeshiva learning. I learned with him for, for three years. Some of that time, we learned two star a day, the uh, So that was a real apprenticeship. You know, talking about formative, that was probably the most formative experience and learning that I had, besides, you know, what I had in the mirror. But that was really, that really um, introduced me to, you know, I'll tell you what it taught me most of all. What it, what it taught me most of all was to listen to the Rishayim listen to the Rishayim, not just to, you know, work out the Chajun of the Sugi, but to listen, to sit, listen closely to what the Rishayim are, are saying, which is really what Rav Nochem was, was all about also. But when I went to Rav Nochem, I was 16, it wasn't the same. When I went with the David Shustal, I was older. And um, that was very profound. Rav Nochem used to say that somebody came to Rav Nochem and he said that, um, that he has a pshat, he says, and it goes very well into Rashi. So Rav Nochem said, we're not looking for what goes very well into Rashi. We want to know what emerges out of Rashi. So that was what I, that's what I got from Rav David Shustal as well. So that was a very profound influence. Another thing that was very influential on my learning and my conception of learning was that I heard Rav Aaron Kotler's Shurim, not from Rav Aaron Kotler, but from Rav Schneer. Rav Schneer used to say a Shurim once a week, and for the most part, he would say Rav Aaron's Shurim. So I had that, Rav Aaron's Shurim were not yet in print, but I had that exposure. And Ravai Shion were, were magisterial. They were, they, he, he would work through the whole hekif of the sugya, every little screw in the sugya, how it fit into the big, the big picture. And you got a sense of the possibilities. Like it stretched your mind. You got a sense of the possibilities of learning. What a lamdan could do with, a, with the sugya. So those are very formative uh, influences. The particular yeshiva, you know, every yeshiva had something else to offer. This was a very interesting experience. Um, you know, Ryan Lichtenstein, of course, was a very unique person. He had this amazing breath, not just in learning. Of course, he had tremendous, he was a, you know, a, he was a tremendous bucky. But, but in general, in everything, he put breath to everything that he, that, he, that he talked about. I remember we once asked him about Musa, the Musa movement, and what was the opposition to Musa, and because and, the briskers, of course, were, were opposed to Musa. So he talked a little bit about Chaim Brisker and Yerushal Salanter and what were the issues between them. And then he starts talking about Benjamin Franklin and then and and D. H. Lawrence, and it was like a whole different different uh, departure. And I remember once he gave a he gave, we, he used to have once a week he would have a session with the with the with, with the chutznikim. No, I'm sorry, this was a different occasion. It was Sinchus Torah. They, they were the island was dancing Sinchus Torah, and there was a break there for they had a break for kiddush. And I guess he was disappointed with the fervor and the liveliness of the dancing. So he got up and he told us a story about the football team in Notre, in Notre Dame. And they weren't doing so well. And at halftime, they, they went into the locker room and Newt Rockney, the famous uh, coach, I think it was Newt Rockney, didn't say anything. The whole halftime, he didn't say anything. He's just, uh, they're all waiting for him to say something. 
because they were behind. And, and finally, when they were about to go out in the field, he turns to them and he says, come on, girls. So that was, that was his, uh, his uh, you know, in the middle of dancing by some Kostar. I once used that in Shul, in the middle of, in the middle of dancing on some Kostar. So very, very interesting uh, person. In learning, I can't say that that she was so formative. First of all, I was very young. And it wasn't where I was coming from. You know, he had this, Ravan was not interested in the, Ravan Lichtenstein was, was not interested in the nuts, the nitty gritty of the sugi. He was interested in the, in the big picture, in the breath. And I was always a nuts and bolts person. And that was um, my training even in Denver. And, and that's my Natiya. I'm a nuts and bolts person. I think that God is in the details. So that wasn't, you know, what resonated with me. But just the exposure to somebody of such, such breath was, you know, very, very fascinating. I think in retrospect, also, I understand the more at the time, it was just interesting. You know, he's quoting all of these things. But I think looking back in retrospect, I think part of it was that he was in the, in the, the Tilumi world. And the whole Ruach around him was a lot of messianism and mysticism. And, and I think he wanted to give them a dose of humanism to, to counteract that. You know, something, uh, a little bit of exposure that there's a different world out there of ideas and so on. But anyway, that was a, so it was an interesting, it was a very interesting experience. And, uh, but, but in learning my main, my main, the, what was formative was the mirror and the mirror and lake, but that's one trajectory. And that was really what, what formed me in, in learning, you know, other things I got from other places, but the Derech that I got from, from the mirror and from lake. It's really remarkable because most of the Rosh Yeshiva in Yeshiva University are really like homegrown in a way and, and kind of we're in within that universe of, of you know, YU and YU affiliate institutions, which is why I think it, it allows uh, you to have a little bit more of almost the way you describe Ravar Lichtenstein's Derech, like a little bit more of the forest from the nuts and bolts of how you look at the Talmidim because you, you were, you've been in other major institutions for long periods of time. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, having studied at different yeshivas, what do you think makes the yeshiva university experience, particularly in the base measure, so special? What makes the yeshiva university so special? First of all, for, for the community that yeshiva serves, it's not just special. It's the only thing there is. There, there's only one, there's only one, YU is the, the, it's the one address, you know, for, 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 for this community. And without it, if it wasn't for Yeshiva University, the modern Orthodox community in America, I think it, it would look like the modern Orthodox community in Europe, which doesn't have anything like Yeshiva University. It's much less teoretic, much less committed to halacha. So why you is it, it, it's so it's so vital for, for 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 the community, and I like why you I, I like being in why you no I, I like it I feel I can be myself I enjoy teaching why you I enjoy the boys the boys are the boys are great the boys they have a tremendous amount and maybe this is the most the the, the, the thing that's most special is that the boys that I teach they have tremendous bikush they have action. They're thirsty to learn. There's no ulterior motive. They're not here because, you know, where else are you going to go? That's, that's what everybody else is doing. That's, you know, they had many other options. They could have gone to Ivy League. They could have gone anywhere. And, and they come because they want to learn 
and that that gives the that gives the base medrash a real a real sense of of mivakshim. Uh, they say Rebbech Ber. I don't quote the story all the time, but I don't think Elam really appreciates it. Rebbech Ber gave a shmuz to the bachim. He would give at the beginning of his man, he would give a shmuz, and he would quote the Gemara in Brachas. For the Gemara says, "Kishen nichnasu chachamim liyavna," and the chachamim after the churban they started the yeshiva in in, in in Yavna. So various tanoim spoke. So Rabbi Huda spoke. And he said, he quoted the Pasuk, that anyone who was a Mavakash Hashem would go after the Chet Eagle when Moshe put his oil in the Chutz Lamachna. Anyone who was a Mavakash Hashem would go out to the tent of Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said, to go to the tent of Moshe Rabbeinu it wasn't so far. How far did they have to go? And they're called Mavakash Hashem. So, they go out of, they go from town to town, they go out of town to study to, to, to study Torah, that they're called Mavakshe Hashem. The Baruch Ber would say, Yeshiva Baruch is a Mavakshe Hashem. He can't give Musa to Mavakshe to Mavakshe Hashem. So that's quoted all the time. But I, I don't know if people fully realize that Baruch Ber was talking in a context. At the time, at, at the time that Baruch Ber was receiving comments, to be Yeshiva Baruch that was not the normal thing. The youth was going in all kinds of other directions. They were being, there were so many other avenues out there. It wasn't taken for granted that a Bakishan would, would go to Yeshiva and would study Torah. They were being swept up in, in, in all kinds of, of movements. And it was Echad Meir, Vishnayim Mishmacha, who would go off to study Torah in the Yeshiva. I think that was part of what I was saying, that that's so special. That made them Vakshi Hashem. People who heed that call, they want something different. They want to hear, they want to hear the Dvar Hashem. And, and I think our Bachim, they're, they're Mavakshi Hashem in that sense. There are many other places they could have gone, many other directions. And they come to us because they're, they're Mavakshi Hashem. And it makes a difference. It makes a difference in the atmosphere in the Bismarck. There's a certain seriousness of purpose. There's a certain drive that uh, they have. And I, I think it's very, you know, Wayu is a big place. There's all kinds of constituencies in Wayu. I'm not saying the totality of Wayu, but you walk into the Wayu Bismarck. And, and you feel that, uh, that because I walk into Shir, I get texts from my guys at all times of day and night with Shilas and learning. 11 o'clock at night, a guy texts me, he has to are in learning something, a comment and something that I said in Shir. That's amazing. And that's, uh, that's what, that makes it all, makes it all uh, worthwhile. So I think that's very, very special. There's also a certain wholesomeness um, that you see. You know, I mentioned that I, my, my cousin of David Afin that I was so close with in my years in the in the Mir. So he became he became a Rebbe afterwards in in Chadera. and he's, he brought up his kids in Chadera. Chadera is not a is not a Haredi stronghold. So somebody asked him how he was so much with his children. So he says, "My children grew up with Shmir Seinayim. Shmir Seinayim, you know, means you don't look at forbidden things. So." This fellow said, in Chadera, they had Shmir Sainai. So he said, yeah, their whole childhood growing up, they never saw a Pashka Villa. You know what a Pashka Villa is? One of these placards denouncing this one, denouncing the other one. Uh, he said, my children never were exposed to that. So they grew up wholesome. They weren't exposed to all the infighting, the, polit- the, you know, the rabbinic politics, the kanois. They didn't see that. They grew up with the, with the wholesomeness. So I think I tell them also have that. They were never exposed to, they were never exposed to you know, dis, uh, disparaging of other of, of a Tamil Chacham, disparaging a different Tamil Chacham or 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 or, or Yeshivish politics. Rav Lando, the Rashiv in Slabotka, once he wrote a famous letter. The context of the letter is not so important, but he wrote a famous letter and he said, When Bochim get involved with, with politics, Yeshivish politics, a 
Kanois, all these issues that he says it poisons the Chinuch. The Chinuch has to be, that, that has to, it, it poisons the wholesomeness of the Chinuch. This time afterwards, the first for this time afterwards for politics, a, a Bokhu should be involved, should, should, should not even see it. And our Bokhu, I think they have it. They're not, they don't, they don't see that. And it gives them also a, a, a wholesomeness and a, and a Tmimus that's very, very uh, special. So, yeah, that's, okay. I, I like it. So there, there's a Dian in the Stei Chemed. It's a long Dian. And the Stei Chemed is trying to figure out if it's mutter to compare Rishonim. Is it mutter? And he has a whole maracha, a whole arichus on this. Whether or not can you compare, you know, Rabbeinu Tam to the, to, uh, to the Ri, and, and can you, are you allowed to compare Rishonim? So I'm not, I don't want to compare Rishonim. I want to, I want to know when a lot of people study in yeshiva, particularly in Yeshiva University. I don't know if it's a healthy inclination. I don't know if it's immature. And I felt the same way when I was in Mary Yisrael. People want to know, could I stack up against people who are learning in Lakewood? I'm a star good guy in Yeshiva University. I'm going to Shear every day. I'm steiging. I was wondering if you could comment, what would you tell somebody? And maybe they don't, you know, a Talmud is too bashful to articulate this question to you. But those who know in that larger Olam HaYeshivas, I hear it all the time, you know, is a strong Talmud in YU, would they be able to thrive in Brisk, in Lakewood, or in, in any other places? How would you address a Talmud who was wondering this? Okay, I've been asked this before. By some, this by Talmudim. So I would say like this. I, first of all, our Talmudim have nothing to be ashamed of. I've had Talmudim over the years who would be Mitzionim wherever they were, in any yeshiva. I just got an email from a Talmud who was in my shir, just, just, just left the shir recently. He's learning in Kailal now, in a different country. And he wrote to me to say how, how grateful he is, how happy he is that he's learning in a Kailal with products of the best yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael. And he, doesn't, he feels that he's, just, he's as well equipped, at least as well equipped as, as, as they are. He's able to, to, you know, he's able to interact as, as a peer, He's able to hold his own. And he, I remember he told me, he came from a different country, he didn't know what YU is. And he said, when he, when he first came to YU, he thought maybe, like he's, he was afraid that he's going into a Be'er Shachas. And uh, Baruch Hashem, he said that he, that he grew in YU learning and, and, he, and he feels that he, he got it, he got the best education that he could have gotten. So they, they have nothing to, I don't think our Talmudim have anything to be ashamed of. At least, again, I'm really talking my Talmudim, Talmudim that I know. I, the whole YU, even though I'm here for a long time, I know my, my corner. And the Bachim are, they're, they're, they're excellent. Now, you have, to, you have to make sure that you're talking apples to apples. You know, bear in mind, a Bachim comes to us, he, best case scenario, he's, he's two years after high school. That means he's been learning seriously for, for two years. And then he spends, let's say, three years by us. So a Bachim leaves YU, it's five years. He's been learning seriously for five years with the burden of college and everything, but not even taking that into consideration. A Bacha comes to, to Lakewood. If Bacha first arrives in Lakewood, he was three years in a post-high school yeshiva in America, typically. Then he was a year or two either in Mir or Brisk or one of these yeshivas. He comes to Lakewood, five years of post-high school learning, full-time learning. And then typically the average, the average stay in Lakewood is seven years. So, you know, a Bacha was in the middle of his stay in Lakewood. He has many, many more years of learning under his belt than a Bacha was in the middle of his, of his trajectory in NYU. Never mind the difference in the high schools, which is also a difference. You know, our Bachim in high school, 
typically they came from a modern Orthodox high school where they learned maybe an hour or two of Gemara a day. Uh, a bacher, a strong bacher in Lakewood, very likely went to a high school where there was no limudichal at all or hardly any limudichal. He was learning the whole day throughout high school. So there's many, many more years of learning that they've gone through. So it's not fair that, you know, there's a learning curve that nobody's putted from. You can't skip over the, the learning curve. There's no free pass. You have to put in the years. You have to put in the hours. But if you compare apples to apples, you compare our bachim to bachim who have been learning, never mind that, who've been learning a similar amount, a similar amount of years post high school. So a bachim by us compared to a bachim who's, you know, five years after high school, he's not in Lakewood yet, but he's, uh, he's learning somewhere else. So I think our bachim are, I think our tambinim could, could hold their own. I'm not saying, they, I think they could hold their own. It would be better if the high schools were stronger. That's a big issue in our community, that we need to work on the high schools. It's really not, our, our, many of our bachim are unhappy because they bemoan the fact that in high school they didn't learn enough. And then they carry it with them. They carry this burden that they feel they have to make up for lost time. I know a lot of bachim who, who stress themselves out because they're trying, to, they're, trying to, they're trying to do more than it's possible to do. They're trying to make up for, for that lost time. And I tell them, slow down. You know, the bikis, you'll, you'll make up the bikis slowly. You don't have to make it up all at once. So we do have to worry. We have to shore up the, the high school. That's not why you, but we have to shore up what's going on in, in the high schools. It's not persuaded. One or two hours of learning of Gemara. But nonetheless, you take everything into consideration. The Bochum are, they, 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 they do very well. And I think the reason why they're able to do so very well, first of all, they're Balikishan. We get Balikishan. And, but more than that is that they have this Bikush. They have this drive. They, it's really Nafshim Chashka Batayr. They really, that's their, their overriding. That's what they come for. It's really amazing. You know, you think they come for all kinds of other things. They don't come for, they don't come for other things. They come because they want to, they want to grow and learn. And, you know, they have this strong Ratzon and they, uh, they grow. And I see, I see, I see the growth. I see when they come to Yeshiva and three years later when they, when they, when they graduate and, and very often they stay beyond graduation, but let's say those three years. And I see it's Yom Lailah. And that's an amazing thing because most Yeshivas that have college, you know, I know most college yeshivas are happy if the Bochum tread water, if they, don't, if they don't sink during the time that they're going to college. And our Bochum, they, they mamish grow. They, they grow beyond recognition sometimes. They really, I, I have many, many cases of Bochum, they came and they're beginners. I mean, not as as Gemara, but they're, you know, they're, they're first learning their, their, their way around the sugya. And, and they come out after three years and they're, and they're lemdom of, of, you know, they're, they're real, they're real lemdom. So, we, we, we really have, I think we're doing a very, a very good job. The high schools need to be shored up, absolutely. But I, our bochum, they can be, they, I think they can rest assured that they're getting a good chinuch. You know, it, it's funny. I remember when I was in Ner Yisrael, there were two stories. Um, I remember in, in Ner Yisrael, there's a very famous dining room. And there was somebody from Yeshiva University, who I, I, he may have even been in, in the Rosh Yeshiva Shir, I, I don't recall 100%, who switched to come learn in Ner Yisrael. I remember he was like bothered by the fact that, you know, we were, you know, we're also kids and we were sitting around. Nair Yisrael has like 11 types of cereal that they give out every day. And we're sitting in the breakfast room, schmoozing and whatever. And I remember he was his first day coming from YU and he looked around like he was him, Like, what's everybody sitting around eating 11 types of cereals for? Like, you, you could learn now. And there was an intensity, a bikush, like the Russia she was describing that, that caught us off guard because, you know, there's a complacency 
that can creep in in any institution that you're in. And I think that that's much harder when you're in Yeshiva University. But another um, story- I'll interrupt you for a second. I have, I, I have a nephew who went through YU and he was applying to graduate school. And so that the, during the application, during the interview, they were, they, were, they were telling him, you know, it's not like college. Here you have to work hard. It's graduate school. You know, it's demanding. Are you sure you're going to be able to hack it? So he started to describe his schedule in YU. And they said, oh, okay, then, then you're okay. You have nothing to worry about. Our guys work hard. They know how they, because they're carrying the double burden, because they have this big cushion, because they, they have, they, they're so driven, they work very, very hard, and they learn discipline. They learn discipline. Yes. They learn how to compartmentalize. You know, when you're in the afternoon, you think about that, but the dog, they, they, they learn skills that will, will stand them in good stead for the rest of their life. The, the second story that I wanted to say was that during Bain Azmanim, when I was learning in Neri Yisrael, I remember there would always be a trickle of Talmidim from YU who came to learn by us in Neri Yisrael. I remember one of the Talmidim, who's now a, a, actually a Magad Shir in Eretz Yisrael, he, I remember he came into the base medrash wearing a baseball hat. And the whole base medrash almost plotted on the spot because it was so unusual. This was in there yourself. Yeah, in there yourself, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he was coming from YU, and this is just, you know, he's wearing a baseball hat. And, you know, it was just so unusual. But I was wondering if you could comment specifically on the practice that a lot of YU students have that during Bain Hazmanim, they go to study in other yeshivas. Do you think this is a good practice? And more generally, what are the ways in which Talmidim and Yeshiva University could connect to the broader Olam HaYeshivas? And, and do you even think, what do they have to connect for? What, we spoke about the godless and the, the beauty and the bikush of Talmidim and Yeshiva University. What do you think they could learn from either those type of experiences during Beit Azmanim, whether or not you support that, or, um, or other ways in connecting to the broader Olam HaYeshivas? I'll tell you a story. There was a member of parliament named from the Labour Party around the period of World War II, before and after, his name was Cripps. Stanford Cripps or Stafford Cripps, I don't remember exactly, Cripps. And he was a vegetarian and a teetotaler. Didn't drink, didn't drink and he didn't eat meat. So one day they told Churchill that Cripps has given up smoking. So Churchill said, Cripps has cut off his last ties with humanity. <laughs> I always had, I often had this, this, this feeling that you know, a yeshiva could be different in Ashkofa if it's this, if it has, if in learning, it's still connected to the rest of the Torah world. It can forge its own path in Ashkofa. And vice versa, yeshiva that's conventional in Ashkofa could maybe forge a different path in learning. But if, if yeshiva forges its own path in both, then, then you're not connected and you need to be connected. It's important for every, for yeshiva, even the, a yeshiva at the end of the day is a small is a small entity. It has to be part of a larger enterprise, part of a large a larger world. I think it's very important that our tamidim do have a connection in learning. You know, it's a different flavor over here. I'm not, I don't know if I'm talking about It's a different flavor. Why well, use a different flavor? But but in learning at least, there should be a connection to the rest of the Torah world. And bechal, it's good to be exposed to different things. The Gemara says that that a person that a person should not learn from one rebbe. You should have several rebbe. In Svar, in Svar, it's important to have several rabbis. They see more than just one thing. Be exposed, then you get, for, you know, you're, everybody has their own individuality, but it's nurtured by being exposed to, to other, to, to more than one, more than one teacher. 
So I think there's a lot of value. And, and it, guys always did, even way back, even in the Rav's time. You know, people, they weren't, they didn't think they're going to, you know, they, they, were, they were enamored of the Rav. But Benazmanim, many of the Tamilim, of Shech, the others, they went and they, they spent the Benazmanim in Lakewood. Because you get a different flavor, you get, an, you get an exposure. And I think today, especially at the end of the day, for all that, for all of the, for all of the yeshiva is doing, I believe, a good job. We're a small yeshiva. And we're a yeshiva that's predominantly young Tamilim. It's predominantly a young, a young crowd. So sure, you can get, I think you get some town polish, some town polish by being exposed to, uh, to other things, to other places. So that's, uh, and I got, a lot of guys do. Guys go to the mirror for a Benazmanim or for an Elzman. We have a different kind of schedule. Very often, if the, if the calendar works out, guys can go for a whole Elzman or they can go for almost all of a Summersman to another yeshiva. And I think they do benefit from it. So I, I, we're, we're already um, kind of towards the end of our, uh, our time. I was wondering if you could, as a, as a, as a final question, um, given your trajectory and, and how you've developed over the years in different institutions, if you were to reach out in time and give yourself as a 20-year-old, like most of the Talmud and Yeshiva, advice in learning, in Torah growth, what advice do you think you would have given yourself? Um, well, that's everybody's fantasy, you know, to go back in time and to give yourself advice. So if you would have the, be able to have the, the wisdom of, of hindsight, but you don't, you never get it. You don't, that's not the way it works. If I could go back in time and give myself advice, I would, well, buy Microsoft. <laughs> But uh, that doesn't help. The t- that doesn't help them now. You know, I think I would. I would have told myself, get a connection with Tamil Chachamim that are in your that you, whose paths you cross. Forge a connection. Welcome. Feel different. I know myself. When I was young, there were there was a lot of gedolim that I had. I could have had more connection with than I did. Rav Nochem, I used to talk to Rav Nochem in learning. You know, I would go and talk to him in learning. I could have had more connection, I think. And they were, but you're, you're diffident. You're, you know, you're shy. I'm going to push myself forward. But, the, but these, they, they want to have a connection. They, they want to have a connection. They want to give what they have to, what they have to offer. And I would say, oh, you should have a right. Make a connection. You know, it's going to be, first of all, later in life, you'll have somebody to turn to. And you'll have a reservoir of memories to draw on. So make that connection. Don't expect that it's going to happen by itself. You should give a push. Have a connection. Have a connection with your Rebbeim. Rebbeim, who are you? They have a lot of other things on their plate, but they're happy to make the connection, but the Bochum have to take the first, uh, the first step. A Rav, you have a Rav, make a connection with him. You know, there's lots of kids. Lots of, he comes in contact with a lot of people, but if somebody makes this, I know I have, Talmudim, I have a lot of Talmudim passed through my shir. The ones who I made the connection with are the ones who wanted to have the connection and who made the effort. And, you know, I, a lot of Tamil that I, that I regret that I could have had more from had I overcome that diffidence and that shyness and forged the, forged the connection, I think they would, have been, they would have been very happy to do so. For whatever uh, lingering shyness, uh, your forthcomingness and sharing uh, the personalities and stories of your personal relationship with the Olama Yeshivas, uh, I am so appreciative. Rabbi Shulman, thank you so much for sharing 
your story in this conversation. So we can hear more about your story because you also had a, an interesting career. You know, that's, you also different kinds of issues. For, that's for a different time. That's, that's definitely for a different time. I think the, the cereal story, I was one of the students eating uh, many different types of cereal. So that's basically encapsulates all you need to know about my experience. But, but I am so appreciative of, uh, of your time today, the stories and the ideas that you shared about situating Yeshiva University within the larger Olam HaYeshivas. So thank you so, so much. Okay, it was a pleasure. Maybe we'll do it, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Thank you.